0: This podcast is brought to you by the Congos Store, which is having a 50% off sale right now with the code 1929. That's 1929. Terms and conditions do apply. Certain items are not 50% off. Others are. But head to store.kongos.com and check that out.
1: Hi everybody, welcome to episode 44 of The Front Lounge with Kongos. This is the podcast where the band Kongos, us four brothers, Johnny, Jesse, Dylan and Danny, we discuss all kinds of interesting stuff and also have guests sometimes. And most days we have our trusty sideman, Mr. Colton, uh, also known as Cookie, who eats crackers. <laughs> um, quick, quick announcement, we we're playing Sand Jam Festival in April in uh, Florida Panama City, Florida, Kings of Leon is headline. It's going to be a fun show. So make sure you come check us out. There'll be more shows uh, this spring and summer that we'll be announcing pretty soon. Northeast will be hitting you up. Um, so, what's up, guys? What's, what's up?
0: up? <laughs> Hi, guys. Hi, brothers. Um, we did a, another one of our Inauthentica Food series, as you all know. But uh, we did, this was uh, pizza themed, Italian, you know, the famous Greek food. The Italian stall, and we did it on our uh, barbecues, which is what Danny's. I think you started that, right? Well, I didn't invent it, but I I got it for us.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I got these stones. You can get them like uh, six by nine. We did it in
1: Arizona
0: ages ago. Yeah, I guess we used to do We had stones. Yeah, never mind. Take it back. You didn't invent it. But
2: I will tell you this if you go on Amazon, you can find these six by nine stones, pizza stones, uh, nine inches. So you can just kind of assemble the size stone you want. Right, so your you're grill. not stuck with one big yeah, stone. Yeah, so we got a much bit. We ended up basically filling our grill with stones, so we can put two, three pizzas on there.
1: Yeah, so I mean, we we basically break every single Neapolitan pizza rule that you can break to make these pizzas. But honestly, who gives a shit? They're they're pretty damn good.
2: Everybody on Earth breaks Neapolitan pizza rules except for Neapolitan people. Yeah, or well, P- Neapolitan pizza people, which is funny because down uh, not too far from us, there's a. Guy opening a Neapolitan pizza restaurant, and we met him. And he came by to the he came by our inauthentica and and tried our pizza. He seemed to like it, but he's one of those dudes. He's opening a restaurant which is like the following all of the rules of Neapolitan pizza. They're going to make
0: two pizzas, right? Margarita and Marinara. I mean, they practically invented them. It seems like his the restaurant in Napoli has been going for over 150 years. Yeah, so.
1: And he ate our <laughs> barbecue pizza. <laughs> it wasn't barbecue pre- flavor. It was just no, no, yeah. but uh, he, he no, he definitely liked it. He mm. he finished it in like five seconds and then immediately took another piece. So either he just really loves pizza, any right. kind of pizza or Dylan ran into him again
2: somewhere and he was he said you said he was on his, starting his diet now because he really abused himself on pizza the other day. Yeah. <laughs> it was like <clears throat> what's Tuesday today that we're recording this. On Sunday we had the pizza party. he said, yeah, it's my first day of my diet, because yesterday I really abused myself with more pizza. (laughs) (laughs) He's very Italian, though. He's he's super Italian, eats pizza all day. He's pretty much
1: a ninja turtle. Do
0: you know what he did, though? We told him that we were Greek, and he did the most perfect Athens accent impression I've ever seen.
1: Mm. Uh, Yes, because uh, in Athens, uh, we invented this, you know. We have a word for
0: this. Yes, they put like a little bit of a it's not a
1: lish but but uh, on the yes, end. Yes, yes. Like I don't know why they say their s's like that. It's very specific. He did, yeah, it, did it even, even better. Sale. I mean, we're part Greek, but he did it even better Greek mm. accent. Yeah. I guess you know, it's not that far of a jump from Naples to Greece.
2: Yeah.
0: But um, yeah, ex- you were saying he he only makes two pizzas or at the ones in uh, the original restaurant they make two pizzas, a margarita and a marinara. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. And, you know, he was saying to us, "Is like, you can have any pizza, you put any ingredients on it, and it's going to taste fine and nice, because you're tasting all the ingredients, it's the whole combo that he says, but to the what, what they're really all about is just the art of making dough, sauce, cheese, oil, and nothing, there's nothing else on it, making that exactly right. You know, that's The, the art of it. The marinara
2: is just dough and sauce. Yeah. And oregano exactly. and garlic often, yeah.
1: But no but cheese. Am I am I imagining this, or have we been to pizza places in America where they make a marinara and it's like squid or shrimp or something on well, it? Well, there yeah.
2: there probably is some interpretation of that because marinara, marine, yeah. yeah,
1: like marine. There but, may
2: be a marinara which is is a fish or seafood based one. I don't know.
0: Yeah, but in like a strict no, I've made that mistake before where I've ordered a marinara pizza thinking it was going to be. A cheeseless right. pizza and then they bring you one with uh I, think, I seem like. to
2: remember that in Italy where it was in different regions marinara meant something else I don't know who knows
1: Colton you can google that and then just <laughs> not bring it up it's not that important <laughs> I put together a playlist for this thing We're
2: like in the marinara core <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: and uh, I just went down this rabbit hole of Italian music particularly Neapolitan songs like there's a Certain style, the very, very nostalgic and sentimental music. But came across this guy called Luigi Tenko. and uh, you should Google him or find him on Apple Music, Spotify, whatever. Uh, the, f- the song that f- I first came across is called "Ho Capito Che," something like that. You'll fi- you'll see it; it's one of his most popular songs. And he was one of these guys. It's like a '60s, '50s, '60s crooner, like you would think of you know the American crooners and that. But he has such a sentimental sound to him that I wasn't obviously alive in that period, but you feel like you're immediately transported to the exact feelings of what he's singing about. And uh, apparently he was completely kind of critically panned during his day. He committed suicide and then became this cult figure. Um,
2: That kind of music reminds me of that three-part movie called The Best of
1: Youth. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Um, is that what it's called? The best, yes. Yeah, so it was
2: a six-part miniseries in Italy, but then it okay, came in yeah. three parts. I think in America, that's one of the most nostalgic movies I've ever seen, or the most kind of it tra- seems to transport you to a place.
1: Yeah, that was excellent. It's, it was sort of a a epic story, you know, following these friends from childhood all the way into adulthood. So it kind of spans a very very long period of time, but you know goes through all the different periods in in uh, in history starting in the 60s and then uh, you know the rev- revolution and stuff going on and cultural revolutions um, but they they played that song in there and there was a scene by that song by Fausto Leali. Mm. it's called Aki and I think it's it's the Italian version of I Hurt um, you know his famous kind of old soul song yeah well, I don't yeah, I've not actually watched this series I know you guys have talked about it a lot
2: Uh there there's a weird co- cross correlation between the Italians and the Americans where they both like that kind of music and there's also that thing in from the 70s it's called I need to read it it's Prison Colin Have you have you seen that?
1: I know what you're talking about it's Prison Colin
2: It's this Italian guy his name is a uh, uh what is his fucking name? Adriano Celentano and he does this track which is entirely gibberish, but it sounds like American <laughs> to the Italian audience. It's meant to sound like it he's meant like to be T-Rex like this, kinda right? Yeah, he's meant to be this kind of American dude, lead you know, singing in front of this classroom or whatever. And it's just all gibberish, and the only words that are actual English are "all right." And they go bah, 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 all right.
0: <laughs> mm. That guy uh, Paolo Conti does a similar thing in his song "Via con me." Mm. You know, he's like just, it's an Italian song. It's all in Italian. And then occasionally he throws this, it's wonderful, it's wonderful, yeah, it's marvelous. Yeah. You know, uh, but obviously the connection between Italians and Americans is a long one. Right. And a lot of those guys in the 40s, their experience, or the first experience of Americans, I mean, goes back earlier than that. Obviously all the Italians that moved to America in the big period of immigration into New York and everything, but then all the GIs. So a lot of the songs are about their interactions with, american soldiers in italy in world war Two, you know yeah that so. makes
2: sense yeah <clears throat> i met in nicaragua i met this swiss dude who, you were living there yeah when i was living in nicaragua <laughs> i just moved back a couple of weeks ago um met this swiss dude who was one of the best i've ever seen in capturing the essence of accents and the essence of like types of people speaking foreign languages he In Switzerland, they speak like six or seven languages, or he did, because they're right in between all these other countries, and they speak French, Italian, Austrian, German, or like Austrian dialect of German. Um, And he did this impression of Americans... Speaking all these different languages, and they were fucking spot on. I've never heard it so good. Like American, an American speaking yeah, German. Yeah, he speaks seven languages, and then he would do an impression of Americans speaking French. <laughs> and he'd be like, "Have you ever tried a pie or silver plate or something?"
1: Come on, salve, bro.
2: <laughs> he captured the essence. Or then he spoke Spanish too, and he did like British people speaking Spanish, and they were. It was fucking amazing oh, how spot on he
1: was. That's very annoying, British. A British person speaking Castilian Spanish. Yeah, <laughs> Well, that makes me cringe. <laughs> 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 Grathoff
2: <laughs> pardon sir <laughs> yeah it's i, I you, it's funny when someone does that it's not the they, they don't get any of the words right they don't get any of the anything right but they just capture the essence of an accent mm. or an impression
0: well i was just listening to uh dana carvey on the conan o'brien podcast and he was talking about this i guess it's kind of similar that his impressions were not the most accurate impressions of, like, George Bush or Ross Perot, but he found the sound that was the essence of those people. Mm-hmm. And he s- said that that's what he would do when he was trying to find his impression. He just It's basically just looping around something until he found the little phrase or something that was like, ah, oh, this is the right. distillation of what George Bush... Did he say, uh, not going to do it, like... Not gonna
2: do it. Yeah, like, was, it was.
0: He found these little things. It was yeah. like, oh, this is everything you need to know about that impression, and it comes from that. You know, right. there are people that do better George Bush impressions.
2: There's a guy at the comedy store. I can't remember his name. I'm not gonna shit on him, but he does pitch perfect impressions. But he's never funny because he misses the essence of whatever he's doing an impression of whereas somebody else is exactly that they they don't necessarily get the sound right but they capture the person well, Jim Carrey can do it with a movement right yeah. just with one yeah. facial expression or one movement he captures like yeah. Jack Nicholson or Clint Eastwood or anything
0: like that well he, yeah he used to do that in yeah. oh, his early early stand I think you can find it on YouTube it's really amazing he turns around you know he who's... says I'm going to do Jack Nicholson turns back around yeah. and it's it's entirely Jack Nicholson or whatever have you
2: seen Ariana Grande do singer impressions Cause she's amazing. Yeah. at that.
0: Yeah, she does one of Christ- like of all the modern singers, and they're really good. She does Celine Dion, Christina Aguilera, all these other ones. That's what her records sound like. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of Jim Carrey, have you guys watched Kidding
1: mm, on Showtime? I it. Yeah, you didn't get through it.
0: I see. I liked it. I think it got. It took. I I didn't. I thought the first three. was a bit uh, mm. skeptical, but I think it actually got there, and it got pretty interesting. Yeah. They've renewed it, huh. which is nice to see Jim Carrey getting a break after they canceled. <laughs> I'm dying up here. They did see. There seems to be a bit of a vibe, like at least among critics, because if you read the critics' reviews of I'm, "I'm Dying Up Here," it's like they wanted to kill Jim Carrey. Right?
2: What, what he would produce it? Or he, he produced it. Yeah. yeah,
0: he produced "I'm Dying Up Here," or yeah, executive produced, or he huh. was in, very much involved, mm-hmm. and all the reviews were just like, Ugh, "This is, blah, 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 mm. you know." And then the, then the next part, thing that the guy wrote about is like the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> Great so to see it. So
2: this reminds me of a study, and I can't remember the details of it, but it's quite an obvious study. They basically took college kids, and at the beginning of their admittance, they would assign them a subject to write about on either side of a a question, basically. You know, should Columbus Day be a holiday, blah, blah, blah and they would assign them the position they were meant to take and then make them write an essay about it for the group A and at the then a year or two later they would survey them about their opinion about a topic oftentimes they didn't even remember that they had written about this and they completely agreed with whatever they were told to write about at a much in a much higher proportion than if they didn't write about it so just the act of either writing or saying it out loud. I can't even remember if they may not even have to have write it. They may just have had to have done a presentation or s- said something. But it created the opinion for them. So I want, like, when you're a reviewer and you type something out...
1: Yeah, it's like, oh, it's, mu- it's true. it's This is I wrote true.
2: It. I wrote it. I-, I believe this about what I'm writing. And half the time their motivation is not to actually find their opinion. It's to, like, I need... Oh, shit, now i got to write another fucking review about a thing I've watched... 24 hours of TV a day this week. And now I have to review this. And I'm really trying to make a name for myself as a writer. I'm not actually trying to. Well, that's, I mean, that's
0: a major part of the problem is that everyone now is just simply trying to get their social numbers up. So there's no pure intention to actually review something. And often a good reviewer is someone that will review it for the target audience, because clearly you can't personally like everything but you right. could see how like a kids show this would work for kids let me s- explain how the show is good or bad for its audience
2: that's what i admire about serene for these uh journalists we know in phoenix he's and he's a friend of ours he, but he's i read his reviews occasionally of concerts and stuff and he is this new yorker old new yorker that he only plays in beatles cover bands and does weird really weird bizarre out there stuff but he can go review a Lady Gaga concert and he does it from the perspective of a person who would want to go see Lady Gaga. And he's he's not, he doesn't make it about him. It's quite an art, actually, to put yourself in the shoes of somebody who would want to go to that show, you know? Well,
1: yeah. sort of back to expanding on that, your idea about the reinforcement that comes from writing something or stating something, you know, I mean, they, that, I'm sure it's been studied a lot, but you can kind of see it in corporate culture, you know, where you just get someone in a morning meeting, Monday morning meeting, to repeat a certain phrase or to repeat a certain sentiment. And there's they, you know, they at the corporate level, they study this stuff and they figure out what works and what moves people, or motivates people, or keeps them on task or whatever. You know, that kind of that side of it's pretty interesting. Um, I know I can talk talk about TV more. I saw that <laughs> it
2: goes as deep as. Uh, scientists and especially archaeologists, all the stuff recently with um, re-dating the age or the um, yeah the age of like Quebecitepe. tepi right it? or the or the pyramids or the Sphinx and things like that. Um, archaeologists who've spent their entire lives writing papers and presenting how old these things are now, new information comes out that they're they're much older than they previously thought, and they just cannot. They cannot accept. Entrenched. It. Yeah. Like they just cannot accept. They've already spent their entire lives trying to prove one thing and they're not gonna they're not gonna back down on it.
1: Mm. Well that must be disappointing.
2: <laughs> when I was getting my uh, Mazda car at the dealership, they were doing training for the Mazda employees there. So some regional Mazda person was coming in to tell them about all the things that they need to do to sell a car. Or mm. well, to sell the to sell the new cars. And she was going to all of the employees. This is not a cheap Lexus. This is not a BMW. Okay. This is Mazda Premium. And she kept repeating it to them in this kind of robotic way. She says, You guys get that, right? You guys get that this is Mazda Premium. And it was, it was very funny to see. It was like Cedar Rapids. It was like yeah. that movie, Cedar Rapids. I, so
1: that, I, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to talk about TV more. I, I've, <laughs> i I found a couple really good shows lately. The one is called Patriot on, um, Amazon prime. I'm Mm -hmm. only like halfway through the first season. So, I mean, so far it's really good. It I, I avoided watching it for so long. I keep seeing the thumbnail and just, I I figured it was going to be like a lame Jack Ryan kind of show or something, but it's completely not. It's, it's a little bit surreal, very artistic and slow. It's almost like a Danish show, you know, um, really good. The, The other one is called flowers on Netflix. It's a British show about this eccentric family out in the small village in the UK. Unbelievable, like, really good show. It takes a little while to get into because it's so high-paced and sort of quirky, and you think, oh, is this going to be, like, a quirky character show? Which it is, but they do it really well and kind of nail it. Jesse's our uh, TV recommender because he's got a kid and... (laughs) He, well, I don't I have. To, I have to discriminate because we get like there's enough time to like watch an hour of TV maybe at night. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Can
0: I just go back w- to to reviewers because I came across this thing that I, is one of the best things I've read lately. This is a guy writing on thecannabist.com. It's it's like weed reviews, and he went and bought all of uh, Snoop Dogg's got his own strains of weed or his own kind of selected curated weeds. And so this, I'll re- just read you a bit of this, because this is amazing, I think, this, as a reviewer. I walked out with eight different grams of Snoop's hand-selected flowers to find out. While I have a, while I have a f- full smoke report coming for each, here's how I rank them based on visual inspection and smell. So this is just a visual and smell-based review of weed that he has not smoked yet. Number seven is the Blueberry Dream. Usually a personal favorite for the robust berry notes that can sometimes fall flat in the straight blue dream, I couldn't believe how dull this blueberry dream came out. While one of the more visually impressive strains in the line, a number of good squeezes weren't enough to coax much more than a soft rubber out of the nug. I can't help but wonder if the curing process might have been rushed, as the terps just aren't there. You might say it leaves something to be desired. I'll show myself out. <laughs> this guy <laughs> wrote shit. a smell review of Snoop Dogg's thing, and then he tried to go all pitchfork on it and just like, because everything, he just talks shit about it. Listen, you know, Bud, we- <laughs> if you're going to make leaf puns. <laughs> What's funny
2: to me is that shit. one of my um, high thoughts is about that exact phenomenon which is that progress is increasing opinions about... Yeah, cultural progress is having increasingly subtle opinions about increasingly insignificant things. <laughs> <laughs> I was really depressed. I was like, Jesus, we just keep having more and more subtle opinions about more and more nonsense. It's like, kind of like that Terence McKenna increasing novelty thing. Mm-hmm. I wonder if opinions or divisions and categorization of everything you know it just it only seems to go in one direction, which is more, and there's this weird entropy where now you're the guys reviewing the appearance of weed which is <laughs>
0: i mean look it's the, the i i know exactly what you 're saying, and I agree with that. But what he's doing is not, it's not insane, the idea, like you, you know, your c- horticulturalists have been looking at the shape and the smell and studying plants and everything. There's just something so deeply pretentious about the way he was doing it. Yeah. Like well, it wasn't the- done from a botanist perspective like, oh, they uh, reduced water in the last three weeks of this grow and therefore certain chemicals were highlighted or not. He was just, it was something so pretentious. I think
2: also the mode motive- of, I don't know. Yeah, there is, is pretentious because a horticulturalist who's purely curious about plants is a pure curiosity. Yeah. Like there, there are these weird people who are just interested in studying plants. That's different, I think, than just having more and more opinions. It's not like a, a botanist has got limitless opinions about all the plants they study. They study. They have one opinion, which is curiosity about plants. You know, right? It's not just more and more opinions about stuff. Well, I had some friends come out and visit from Phoenix this weekend and they were out in Venice had getting lunch and they sent me a picture of the menu and one of their specialties of the day had designer kale in it.
0: Oh you mean it was grown
2: it was, no, that's what they called it, designer oh. kale. And then they asked what designer kale is. And they're like and the waitress just said, It's just like really it's really good organic kale. That's what they said what
1: the hell is what it meant mean nothing
2: designer kale unless someone proved me wrong it means fucking nothing I thought maybe I mean maybe they meant to type dinosaur kale <laughs> <laughs> that's that, the thing isn't it right dinosaur kale is the, is the kind designer of designer kale the, is a breed what the fuck does it mean nothing
1: Colton's Googling, Googling designer well. kale <laughs> oh you just went on a list Colton
2: this the even if even if it's like a farm that hybridized their own new strain of kale, you wouldn't call it designer kale. Maybe, is it just? <laughs> is it? Are people just doing things like this so that people take pictures of it and talk about it? No, no I, think I, think it's I think they like, genuinely believe their bullshit.
1: Yeah, I I think the people making the menu. I've learned to pluck words like that out, you know, and just it. Either they they know what those words have an impact how they have an impact on your average California audience or they are unaware themselves but it sounds cool to them but you know like people fall for that shit here. right but it you, sounds they, like a Russian the, or something you like find that. the right word yeah. that tickles a sort of impulse you know which is yeah. like, oh, this I'm getting something special you know
2: it sounds like a Russian guy it's like I'm starting a California restaurant I get premium broccoli and designer kale <laughs>
0: <laughs> the, yeah, not, not that knockoff shit there, it's such a clear difference, though, when someone does it like that, and it's such bullshit. But then, this uh, curiosity, like the increasing in number of opinions and subtlety, just seems to be the nature of how things are going because life is becoming more and more complex. You know, so you have to know more. And I, what I'm, what I mean is. I'll do a little preview. We're going to do a podcast with Christian Rolich, who was on here last year. He he came to our party uh, two or three days ago and he brought us all copies of his brand new book that's going to be coming out in April. And a punch,
2: an excellent punch.
0: Yeah. But I started reading his book and it's intricately detailed about drinks, Mm -hmm. you know, which you could think, oh, you know, you could apply what you're talking to about these opinions. But his thing is just. it seems a lot purer. I don't but know. Maybe it's also, just cause There's we're- a
2: big difference between doers yeah. and critics. People that make movies and make music and make drinks and make food, like, they can have all the... I, even as far as some of these, you know, five-star or three-star Michelin restaurants go and they go fucking nuts and it is, it does seem pretentious and they're doing all the foam stuff, but they're actually innovating stuff constantly and they're the ones doing it. You, then you get the people that just sit on their asses and, and write about it and like read well they listen to music and then say this is good this bad <laughs> um, what if there was a site that reviewed reviewers that would be good well this there, critic is pretty good at this stuff but pretty bad at that that'd be a,
0: there is a site called metacritic i don't think it's doing what you're saying cuz no. that would be funny but it does uh, aggregate
1: reviewers that's so. how
2: rotten tomatoes works right yeah. it's a, it's a it's a kind of metacritic or whatever
1: should we take like a five-second break to just talk shit about fitness for a minute? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, yeah, critics, we that, are... Those guys are terrible. Yeah. I heard some samples of new recordings on Kenny's stories today. They really sounded pretty cool, actually.
2: <laughs> One of the questions we got on Twitter was how much do we miss fitness? The I'm answer actually, is hey, fucking not at all. It's
1: funny how much Kenny tweeted, likes then. heavy stuff considering how weak he is. <laughs> um okay hang on we I, I said we would answer one question either the best one or the worst most of them honestly were pretty fucking boring um yeah what's it like being in a band with your brothers we covered that joke
2: jesse's referring to he tweeted out
1: so yeah, yeah twitter's um this one's kind of funny somebody asked favorite ice cream flavor yeah, that's not interesting. And then somebody tweeted immediately after, what's your favorite ice cream color? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know,
2: blue. Blue. I. I don't eat, I never eat it, but I think pistachio, like green... Yes, ice cream oh, yeah, looks nice. Look the they look very appetizing, but I never get them. I mm. like uh, uh, if anybody's super curious about this nonsense, uh, pistachio ice cream is very good when they use pistachios and not some sort of almondy am- amaretto thing. I hate
1: almond extract. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hate it. They put oh, it, interesting they put it in everything here. Every it's like cinnamon. Right. Americans have to put almond extract and cinnamon in every fucking bake. <laughs>
2: Speaking oh. of almond extract, Christian put a recipe in his bar book here which used apricot seed kernels to get a certain flavor because that's what almond extract is. And he put how to do it from scratch and then what, his editors what? caught that and said mean it's almond it's, extract. Um, they use actually apricot kernels. When, a lot of times when they use, um, when they call it almond extract, it's just a flavoring, like amaretto type flavoring. Yeah. They use apricot seed kernels to get that flavor
1: oh so it's not actually from, I don't think ours? so that's
2: what he was telling me, but he put the recipe in using the uh, apricot seed kernels which have got cyanide in them, so his editor said, no no you can't do this from you can't do this one from scratch because people are gonna <laughs> be putting cyanide in their drinks. Uh, I don't exactly know how he got the cyanide out of it or whether it's just an insignificant amount or something like that but but yeah,
0: well, again,
1: we'll ask him about this
0: on yeah. when we if have him back. That's true. On. That
1: would explain why I don't like almond extract, but I like almonds because occasionally you get like a little bit of that sort of amaretto flavor in an actual almond, but it's so, in so so slight. Yeah, that I don't know how you get that. Almonds are very flavor.
2: divisive. The in the bee farm in Hawaii that we went to, the the bee farmer had a disdain for almonds like nothing else. You could talk about you know genocide and he didn't he wasn't as disgusted by that as by almonds because the almond the yearly pollination of it is what the bees get shipped around the country for so i think and they most of the almond trees are sprayed with with nicotinamides or whatever they are the pesticides so 50 percent of the bees that go pollinate the almond groves come back and die you know in a short period of time it's it's large. It's a very kind of detrimental thing for the bee population. I think
0: it? we've talked about this before, but yeah, almond milk just seems unnecessary. Yeah, it's just I mean, disgusting it, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, like I get the need for alternative milks, but it, the cost of producing almonds in that bulk as opposed to, you know, you could eat some almonds. Like the world could eat almonds, but we don't need
1: that much almond milk. I do like oat milk these days. It's a good uh, alternative for coffees and stuff. Yeah. Let's talk about
2: hip hop.
0: Um, oh yeah yeah well today uh i was listening to the apple music top 20 songs and you can go do this and verify this for yourself they all sound exactly the same and they all have an 808 and a shitty hi-hat pattern Mm -hmm. and it's insane that this music is at the top of the charts i think the hi-hat
2: is brain morse code and it's reprogramming everybody to, it's like up changing the firmware.
0: Sorry, that was a. The, that the newest was the Apple of, hit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the head of Apple College. It's it's horrific right now, hip hop.
2: Yeah, I don't know what's happened. I think it's uh, I think it's maybe it's the way it's made. Is it Dawes? The fact that you can make a beat visually now, and I feel like when beats when beats were sample based or. Being done on tape, there was a lot more interesting stuff happening with the grooves.
1: I listened to Anderson Pack on Mark Maron; it was a really good mm. podcast, and he was talking about the push back. He's trying to he's trying to push back against you know a, the sort of generic mainstream hip hop that's entirely produced on a laptop, mm. and very, you know he's in his mind not a lot of effort put into it. Um, but he's in a fucking incredible musician and an amazing drummer, and he has a, an amazing band on his live shows and stuff. And he was saying exactly that, that, you know, most of their original hip hop was using samples or, uh, loops of actual instruments being played, you know, by musicians. And so there was an inherent sort of musicality to it. And, uh, you I, I think it's like a pendulum that has to swing. You, you, you can overuse programming or overuse technology. And then at some point you realize, Oh shit, we went too far. And then you come back and, and try and naturalize it a little bit. I think better.
0: it's also the influences that early hip hop pioneers like Dr. Dre what they grew up listening to, what influenced them that they then synthesized into this new form was way better influences. Uh, there's like this there's been this funneling down now where kids that are making hip hop now were listening to kind of basically shittier music as their influences and it's got to go it has to reach a point to where people like anderson park and all like there are obviously hip-hop is shit is a gross generalization but kind of feels that way but there are now people starting to rediscover either older or completely different uh things that are inspiring now interesting things in hip-hop but if all you listen to is like the hits from when you were a kid growing up it, it's bound to just lead to a degradation of things the same way i think like nirvana grew up listening to like it would have been classic rock and beatles and that sort of thing that their parents would have been playing to them and then it came out in great songs in in nirvana but if you, all you listened to was nirvana and they're a good example i think then you ended up with what we got was all that uh like post-punk pop bullshit music yeah. you know it's just it always goes down then it, then it finds its bottom and then starts again so it's not hopeless but right now it just feels horrific <laughs>
2: <laughs> who was the guy that you were playing that i asked at the party i said who joey perp that guy's cool yeah that was yeah that was a really good track um, occasional stuff that just sticks out like always but right but he's he's going in the total opposite direction of what's happening right now
0: but i yeah yeah
2: that a little swing it'll swing differently
0: yeah, we're not even. Try- I'm not trying to single out hip hop because alternative music is worse, and rock is worse. We, Danny and I, went to go check out a venue here in uh, L. A. and saw a band play, and it. You, you said it was like vaudeville was your It just seemed like this impression of, Well, like you were watching a little like uh, moving picture show of some people doing an impression of what they thought rock and roll was in the '70s. Right. It was you like know?
2: Spinal Tap. The British. The Funnily enough, the British band was interesting, though.
0: They were both British. Oh, right, right, right. But the second one, yeah, Yeah. they were doing some cool shit. The first one was just inexcusable, and I wish someone would have told them to stop. (laughs) Because certain, I think, I I just don't believe anymore that everyone should be encouraged. (laughs) And, like, that's fine. If you want to discourage us, that's fine, or whatever. But uh, to certain people, they do not need to be encouraged to keep making music. Fitness. I hope you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, Cookie. Let's talk about some current issues that you have found on the Twitterverse or whatever. Like current top hot topics. They're,
1: they're topics, not issues. <laughs> I mean, you might find the the Netflix thing with the the dirt that it's um it's actually a movie, a Netflix original about
2: Motley Crue. Okay, is it based on the book? I'm assuming. I, I don't know. Motley Crue, yeah. Um, well, oh, so let me tell you about the topic you brought <laughs> up. <laughs> uh, Motley Crue wrote a book called The Dirt, right? It's the four of them basically did a little bio. I've, I've read little bits of it. It's, you know, uh, mm, there's drugs and stuff, and then there was girls, and it was wild. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I'm assuming that that's what that's about. Yeah.
0: That Well, the, there's a Netflix movie. They've got a new album, the first album in whatever, 20 years. It's very carefully constructed little comeback mm-hmm. of an overrated air band right yeah but I, what's crazy
2: to me is that Tommy Lee Jones can
1: do his acting career and be the drummer yeah <laughs> it seems like you can't come out with something it seems like you can't release something these days or be a part of a project whether it's a movie or an album or something without having some breaking personal news like a week before it comes out Right, like that. That's the, that's the, that's the PR game plan these days for everyone. Mm-hmm. It's like so and so almost got arrested. By the way, new movie out. Yeah. <laughs> I that
0: uh, that mo- The movie looked really not good on there, but the, I, their story is kind of interesting. I mean. If they are the epitome of like the sunset strip party rock, and you know if you're gonna do that, they did it the best. Yeah, and it it must have been an absolutely insane time to be here. In the it was what late '80s and '90s their stuff. Like
2: yeah, have you seen the video of Tommy Lee? He wanted to be put in a cage that like goes over the crowd (laughs) and starts turning upside down and like that, and he gets stuck upside down (laughs) playing drums. (laughs) You got to see the video; it's fucking awesome.
1: It's like seven minutes long, right? And he's doing <laughs> yeah. this drum so and he keeps yelling and stuff. Like, how about some of this? <laughs> it's like, then we're gonna go left. And this is over a huge PA. But he's, while a, he's doing the right. solo. He's like, now we're going right. Then he oh, also you wanna goes go up.
2: <laughs> talks about how the idea for a rotating drum gauge came to him in a dream, like it was a vision quest he went on, and then he gets stuck upside down. <laughs>
0: Oh man, Spinal Tap. We That's talk about all the when time. Your dick it... is too big. <laughs> you think every idea is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that Spinal Tap is such a genius movie. When you think about right, they were so how, ahead of their they were time. So ahead of their time, and how they lampooned all of this was just genius.
2: Yeah. What's the second groundbreaking issue you've got to talk about, Colton?
1: All right, these are not groundbreaking <laughs> issues. These so are topics for you. Colton's to talk number about. one concerns
2: <laughs> on Earth. Go for it.
1: Number one concern: Apple announces big updates to Apple TV, which will potentially change our lives. <laughs> Tell us all about it, boys. Well,
0: it's not. I don't think it's that they may be updating the device, but I think the big announcement was that there it's going to be a streaming service, which they are going produce to produce content for, like, and they've got some big names on board, obviously because they're Apple, like Steven Spielberg. Right. Uh, Oprah Winfrey, I think, has got something. I don't know whether it's a TV type series or whether it's a, a movie or something. But yeah, I mean, that's a big thing. I, it'd be interesting to see what they do with it because they've often done this kind of thing and then they haven't really followed through. Like the Apple Music uh, documentary stuff that they started putting out on Apple Music, they didn't. It just seems to be kind of background stuff for them right now I think, yeah i don't think they put any yeah.
1: yeah. the only problem is from what i heard is that once you know when they come out with a new apple tv every year you won't be able to watch the old shows unless you buy the new charger <laughs> <laughs> i
2: heard always sunny guys rob mackle what's his name rob mackle McElney- yeah rob. he's they're doing a show Huh. For it. So they're getting real producers and stuff like that, obviously. What, they're, put, I would, they're the richest company in the world. Yeah. So I, I mean, I don't see that's this. That's what they want to do with their money is make more TV.
0: I don't see this happening, but I would be more interested in seeing a subscription service that is uh, universal. And what I mean by that, it, like, basically, if you could somehow monetize the Pirate Bay in a legal way, because. It's, everyone's just turning into a little studio and content provider. It would be nice to not have to go, well, is this on Hulu or Amazon Prime or Netflix? Just like pay a...
1: You're like the Karl
0: Marx of streaming services. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's,
1: well, no, it's, no, it's not it's gonna far be like, off. It's going to be like ca- cable or DirecTV, somebody who right, ag- you'll, aggregated all aggregate, the- yeah. yeah, I guess
0: Amazon is kind of doing that. I think the bigger news, though, out of this Apple announcement, Colton, actually, if we're getting serious, is the fact that they're introducing a credit card uh, that integrates totally with Apple Pay. It has no numbers on it. It's just a chip on the physical. You can get a card to go along with it if you don't want to use a device, so that you can use it anywhere that takes a chip. And I'd imagine it's going to be a lot more secure and a lot more convenient to use. And that's crazy to think that they're going up. I mean, they're going up against the banks because Goldman Sachs apparently is the the <laughs> the backer or the you know they're issuing the credit right. line. But it's a big deal for Apple the most cash-rich company on earth to be getting into the realm of credit cards.
2: Why Why don't we just turn it into the government? Like, do you live in Amazon or do you live in Apple? <laughs> Which, or have you ever also one thing that just occurred to me? You never notice that Karl Marx's name is Carl. <laughs> <laughs> like, Carl! Because <laughs> you always put the words together. Anyway. Yeah, she's, companies just keep getting bigger and more concentrated. I guess... Well, Well, look,
0: if anyone – I mean, you joke about that, but I would rather have right now Apple as the government
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, you go, if you got to pick someone to run shit, if there was they, any question he was a fanboy. <laughs> he just revealed. No, it. I don't
0: even mean Apple. I'd rather like, have Steve Jobs. Did you vote for Apple president? or for PC? Yeah, like dead. <laughs> I'd rather have dead Steve Jobs as president. Yeah, I don't even mean just Apple. Like some kind of coalition of Amazon, Google, and Apple, because at least they get your packages to you on time. Like you look at going like on through TSA. Yeah, you. Hear they should Jeff hand Bezos that over. Was
2: sending dick pics. Yeah. <laughs> he's always thinking about his packages. <laughs>
0: is that your joke?
1: Just now, it is. Yeah, <laughs> that's gotta have been Zuckerberg? made. What would he do in the government?
0: He um, is in the government, and I he's don't know. installed secret spyware on two billion people's phones over the last yeah. twenty years.
2: Turns out they learned
0: we're all morons. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: that was that is a very interesting podcast. If anybody's still listening to this one, go find. There's one about um, words. And the use of words and the uh, questionnaires and stuff like that. On it's called Invisibilia. It's an NPR podcast, and they talked about how Facebook was doing larger social science experiments than it had ever been done before, because they could take a little prompt. They used the one example they gave was they changed the prompt. When you were tagged in a photo, you could automate a message to the person who tagged you to to get yourself removed from that photo and they changed the words that they used if they phrased it as a question nobody would comply with your request to be detagged or a lower percentage would and then if they turned it into basically a command people complied with it so they were doing all of these kind of experiments where they're a-being different phrases and different ways to say stuff and they were getting totally different results but like very very minor changes in
0: the way that in the phrases they used the data that they've got now that's going to be mined through for the next 20 years retroactively mm-hmm. as they come up with new uh, targets of investigation or new methods for looking through that is insane because if you think about a study like a psych psychological study you had to do in the 60s you had to gather a thousand people if you were lucky to get a big sample size right. send them a fucking piece of paper it was impossible now. There's more data on the last three seconds of me talking in the world on any th- topic than there ever has been. You're going to be able
1: to resolve all health and psychological issues through just, you know, retroactively mining Facebook walls. Like, <laughs> right. uh, so, oh, somebody's feeling down. All you have to do is tell them, you're awesome. You're actually really pretty. And then it's so, a problem solved.
2: Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> it's the,
1: it's
2: the kind of, Big brothery type stuff. What's funny to me is that Aldous Huxley was kind of getting that picture of the future in the 60s when he was writing about this stuff. So they're visionary people to be able to envision something which is even semi-accurate about the future.
0: Do you think that at the, the beginning of the Industrial Age, people's sensation that things were getting too quick and uh, complicated... Mm-hmm. Was their internal f- feeling of that sense of complication and quickening the same as our internal sense of quickening complication is now? Because clearly it is objectively faster and more complicated now. But to a person back then, do you think they had the same feeling and reaction to it or sim- a similar feeling and reaction to it? Yeah, I think it's almost
2: perennial. I wonder if that, you know, in No Country for Old Men, there seems to be that theme and it's not just they're not just talking about a quickening but a kind of this natural built-in degradation it yeah. there that's i don't know what the Coen brothers are getting at with that or what you know i guess you could go read the book and maybe get more into whatever he's getting at but the the main the main villain is this kind of he's not even like a normal he's not a person he's this force of nature you know right that's constantly eroding everything and I want it, so I would assume that increasing novelty is also another force of nature.
1: I don't know. Yeah, I <laughs> I think I would think that the rate of change yeah, does play a part. You know that the 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 rate of change is definitely faster now. It's not just that things are changing quicker; it's that things are changing, changing quicker. <laughs> and, but is,
0: but is our capacity to deal with it. Uh, different now like for instance like eve she's born into a world now that's her initial uh, interactions are immediately more complicated
1: than a baby born in 1893 um yeah i don't know how the brain allocates you know resources because you you take on stuff really quickly and then it becomes automatic and you don't have to think about it anymore but <clears throat> i think i think what's different is number one there's a lot more people and i think that I think the amount of people changes the quantity of um, of stress that people are dealing with. It might be spread out in, in you know much faster little droplets now. With, we're like all experiencing droplets of stress all day long, as opposed to maybe in the 1800s, you know, you would have an intense stress, you know, in the Industrial Revolution in a very concentrated period yeah. of time. I don't know. I'm sort of speaking before it's formulated in my mind.
0: No yeah, I mean I I, I don't have an answer. I just it's because I, we think about this a lot, and the tendency, I think, is for all of us to think like, oh, it's way worse now, and we're dealing with all this bullshit because of Instagram and the Internet. but when the when they first came up with a newspaper that could be delivered weekly. That must have been overwhelming to people who were used to reading a book every four years that right. someone you know, bought from a store. Or well, I'm a-
2: only a little bit into Herman Hesse's book called The Glass Bead Game, but he talks about this exact thing. And the language he uses to, to describe the, the ephemeralness of what's going on at the time feels like he's talking about Twitter because he's talking about newspapers and articles and stuff like that. But he describes it as a torrent of zealous scribbling pouring out over every ephemeral
0: incident. and You know what the Greek word for newspaper is? Ephemerida. Yeah, yeah Ephemerida. Like, yeah. <laughs> they literally call it... Yeah, there's another... There's a
2: kind of Christian philosopher guy called Thomas Merton. Um, he's also the subject of that Ethan Hawke movie. The, that movie Ethan Hawke made where he's a priest. He's kind of obsessed with this guy called Thomas Merton who was a monk and he wrote these philosophically leaning books. They weren't like they weren't like normal christianity you know and he he said he would put aside his newspapers so that and read them late he would like just let them collect and then just catch up at a later date because he didn't want to be completely out of it he didn't want to be a hermit where he didn't know what was going on in the world. You know, if World War Two II or three is breaking out, you want to be aware of it. But he also, he said he wanted the newspapers to taste like crusts. He didn't want them to be stimulation. He wanted them to be stale crusts. <laughs> so. that's,
0: that's fucking really interesting. Mm. That's what, I've, I haven't been on Instagram in four months, but I think we talked about this, or maybe I've just talked with you off off, off camera, but I'm obviously still addicted to my phone in other ways. Like, I find myself on maps, like looking at, like how far it is to this coffee shop, whatever, for like an hour. So like, it's not like I've cured anything, but it is kind of nice now. And I like this every week, Colton, we do a podcast. I need a like a president's briefing on what's been going on in the, in the social media world, because that's one of the main reasons I stopped it. And I'm sure I'll be back was because I'm getting these little micro doses of excitement from reading what the latest news or controversy is that serves no purpose other than to drain me of whatever creative uh, energy creative energy or stress hormone that comes about from that it was it was it was pointless but to look back on it, it that's interesting that that guy said it that way because yeah that's a good you don't want to become out of touch with the world but when you can look back on it you're not reacting in the same way as if oh i this i should react to this right now right. you can read about it as if it's history
2: yeah, what is it? It's the same thing as watching like a boxing live versus recorded, which just the idea that it's live changes the way you react to it, which is, I always find funny because it's obviously not live. It's delayed, whatever the, whatever the delay is, you know.
0: But you got it in your head that this is happening now, so it seems really important. Well, that's perhaps where the salvation to music is always going to remain, or at least for a long time, is... You just cannot beat that sensation of experiencing something as it's happening in person. Mm-hmm. Um, on that note, I guess, why don't we wrap this, wrap up? this one up? Um, uh, we just got an Amazon package. It's, uh, yes, could it's be Amazon Jeff time. It's Jeff Bezos'
2: dick, dick pixie? Yeah. <laughs> he um, bails them out. out to everybody.
0: <laughs> so either next week or the week after. As an after.
2: aside, how dumb is the people who try to extort Jeff Bezos? Like, how uh, how dumb is the people them tried to extort him? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, but seriously, they put in writing an extortion yeah, they to did. the
0: richest guy on earth. That
1: did seem idiotic. Yeah, is idiotic. his counter espionage, corporate spy type shit that he must have on call. It must, it, right. it's like better than the government. I bet. But it was the He's
0: National Enquirer, right? That yeah. Like, I, if I was Jeff Bezos, I'm not defending. I I don't know the details of the story, but right. if he was basically just saying these were solicited or like they were they weren't like harmful dick pics like two consenting adults he literally should have just bought the national Enquirer and shuttered it the next day just just to like prove a point yeah like if or, i was that rich i would just do no but shit somehow
2: like that. the the kind of the people you would think who are opposed to moneyed interests are now defending jeff bezos be- the richest man on earth owns the most important newspaper on earth and because trump hates him the left is like defending him which is hilarious to me cuz there it's, it's just a crazy situation to have the richest man on earth owning the big the most important political newspaper on earth you know yeah anyway now that we've solved the world's problems can we Shut this podcast
0: up, yeah. Uh, within the next week or two, uh, like I said, we're gonna have Christian Rollick, our good friend and barman, back on. Uh, he'll be talking about his
1: new book, and uh, well, we'll be doing another um session with fitness trying to help them through their musical shortcomings, yeah. Um, yeah, unfortunately,
2: unless it's MIDI, Kenny, you can't quantize it, so guitar playing, you know,
0: (laughs) it's a little hard. Um, as always, if you want to help support this podcast, head to Congo or sorry, to slash Congos. And for $2 a month, you can get the ad free version of this in addition to a bunch of exclusive pictures that Cookie has been posting there. Uh, see you guys next week.